You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic holistic physician, best-selling author, international speaker, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Now, it's a it's roughly 24-hour biological clock that sets the pace for our bodies and mind and in a consistent steady manner. For for example, ever wonder why we tend to get sleepy and hungry at the same time of the day? Now, that's your circadian rhythm, your biorhythm at work. But disruptions in this rhythm, such as in night shift workers or from experiencing an extreme amount of stress, can cause different types of health problems, including sleep disorders, mood issues, and even hormonal imbalances. Today, we have Dr. Felice Gersh. She's a medical doctor, a double board-certified physician in uh, obstetric and gynecology and integrative medicine. Plus, she's an expert on women's health and circadian rhythms. She's going to teach us how to master our biological rhythms for ultimate wellness. Welcome, Dr. Gersh. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to join you. Absolutely. Now, how can, you know, I'd like to first go into the fundamentals and the basics of human circadian rhythm, why it, it exists and what it, why does it really matter for us? Well, every single life form, including one cell creatures like a bacteria or amoeba, has what we call clock genes. And that is because we evolved to live on planet Earth. Now, many of us love science fiction and space travel, but we are Earthlings. And our Earth, as you mentioned, has a rotation. It's a 24-hour rotation on its axis. So we have about, you know, 12 hours and 12 hours is light and dark, of course, depending on the time of year. In some places, it could be 20 hours of dark. But basically, our rotation of our Earth is what it is. It's fixed. And so all life forms have evolved for survival. And therefore, there are some animals, for example, bats, that are nocturnal. They really are active at night when it's dark. And then there's us and many other mammals that are diurnal. So we are functional in the daytime. And it's really critical. This is built into our genes. And it's because, just think about it, we are equipped with eyes that can see with light. We can't see in the dark. And we are really vulnerable at night. So we rest at night. Our bodies rejuvenate at night. And we're active in the day. We eat. We metabolize. We're completely different creatures, literally like two separate creatures, day creatures and night creatures, all for survival. Okay, so, you know, there are a lot of people that come into my office saying, listen, I'm a night creature. Uh, you know, they tell me they can't sleep at night and they love being up because they're more creative. And a lot of creative people talk about this. I write better at night. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that their clock genes are different from ours, that they're humans, or is it just that it's out of sync? Yeah, the latter, I know. When people say I'm a night owl, it's like, no, you're a human. You're not an owl. And so <laughs> it means that you have circadian rhythm dysfunction. Now, humans are amazingly adaptable. That's why we didn't become extinct. That's why in spite of everything that's gone on over so many thousands of years, millennium, we are still here because we are very adaptable. But that doesn't mean it's optimal. So the people who think, oh, I'm really a night creature, I can tell you they have significantly higher risk for diabetes, dementia, depression, 
um, cancers, because this has been borne out in many, many studies, people who say, I only need four hours of sleep at night, that type of thing. Well, they can survive, but they're not going to be optimal, and they have very substantially increased risk for so many different things. Because when you look at the data at night, when we and it's all programmed into our genes, people do not have different genes when it comes to this. It's just like humans all are born with two eyes. There's no alternate, like three-eyed humans. It doesn't work that way. Just like our clock genes, they're built into humanity. So we can't really function on, say, four hours of sleep properly because it's when we're sleeping that our brains have dramatically increased blood flow. We have totally different immune systems at night. Um, it, our GI tracts are different at night. In fact, our gut microbiome, which we've learned, it's like explosion of information. Our microbes that live in our gut are also circadian. And they are totally different creatures in the day at night in terms of their activity and what is happening, their metabolic byproducts. In fact, at night when we produce melatonin, we produce a tremendous amount in our GI tract, which causes certain species of microbes to actually swarm like insects. And they produce different different byproducts, different short-chain fatty acids, which actually go and to the brain and help rejuvenate the brain. They're food for the brain. They're actually stimulatory to brain health. And so we really do need to accept who we are, that we are humans, and try the best we can to live according to the way our genes have programmed us to sleep at night and try to get a minimum of six and a half hours of sleep at night. And most people will flourish on more like seven, seven and a half, even eight. Oh, there's no doubt for me. It's definitely eight. And I, I recommend my patients to see if she, they can do eight hours as well. And it does take time. There's no doubt that it's a rhythm. It's a habit. And it takes time for you to change. And and not just change about the number of hours, but the, the actual time when you go to sleep, when you fall asleep. That matters too. I mean, you can get eight hours when you go to sleep from one to nine in the morning, one of them uh, a.m. in the morning, but that's really not as healthy because there are specific types of hormones that are released during the nighttime and the, the quality um, uh, time, which is earlier, which is probably anywhere from 9 to 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And, and you talk a lot also about the gut. Well, geez, that what you just said was really, really fascinating. I just want to touch on that a little bit. You mentioned that the microbiome controls also the uh, the nutrients or the, the substances that come out uh, within the microbiome, the, the excre they excrete certain types of neurotransmitters, serotonin, I'm sure, of course, uh, and then melatonin. And it really improves our ability to get deeper sleep and reduce uh, anxiety and, and, and feelings of um, overwhelm. And I know for a fact that when I, I'm at nighttime, I really recommend people to have like fermented food, fermented food, because that's where the lactic acid bacteria goes up. Do you recommend that as well? Fermented food to master their microbiome and improve their sleep. Absolutely. Uh, we know a lot about probiotics, but we really need to learn a lot more, you know, because we now know that we've just discovered like several 
thousand additional bacterial species that we didn't even know existed in our gut. So when we give probiotics, which I'm for, we're only giving a few species. There's thousands in our gut and we're just discovering more. It's like a whole new world of discovery, what's going on in there. But when we eat fermented foods, we're doing it naturally. So I'm totally in alignment with you. I totally agree that, in fact, the more I learn, the more I'm going back to basics, really, like whole foods with all the mixtures of polyphenols and fibers and antioxidants and having fermented foods to really nurture our gut microbiome. I talk all the time about we have to nurture our little friends inside of us that we didn't know were there, like this incredible hidden civilization of microbes. And now we know, this is not really well known by a lot of people, even doctors, that we are, our human cells are actually derivatives of microbes, of, of bacteria and viruses. In fact, our DNA and RNA is really quite identical to bacteria and viruses. So the microbes that live on us are incredible microbiomes, which include the biggest one, which is the gut, but also females have vaginal. Of course, we have sinuses and lung and skin. Even our eyeballs have a microbiome. Now we know the uterine cavity, the ovaries, everything has its own unique microbiome, the mouth and so on. And in order to nurture them, we need to take care of them. And it turns out that they're like our cousins. They actually, like our relatives are coming to stay and only they're moving in for good. And hopefully they'll do lots of work for us because they actually have very similar DNA. We are actually derivatives of these microbes that are now, you know, that we've discovered live with us. And we have to take care of them just the same as we have to take care of ourselves. We are we are incredible, complex creatures that are really not just what we think we are when we look in the mirror. And we really need to suddenly totally change our view of who we are. We are synergistic with our microbes and giving fermented foods like kimchi, which I know you advocate, and I totally do as well, is really foundational to building the healthy gut microbiome, which is the largest one of our body. Ah, thanks so much for sharing that. Absolutely. Now, there's master clocks and then there's peripheral clocks. You know, there's a difference between the two. Can you go ahead and share a little bit about the two? Absolutely. So in our brain, sitting atop the optic nerve in the hypothalamus, that's a unique part of the brain that really deals with all of the metabolic functions of the body, sits this group of nerves that are, it's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, and that's known as our master clock. And it has a direct line from the eye. The retina actually has receptors that send direct signals to the master clock, just directly. It's like a you know, special road, and it can sense light and dark. But now we know it's even more complex. There are nutrient sensors that are also in the hypothalamus that send signals. So the master clock has some ability to tell when we're eating and when we're not, what our nutrient status is, and foundationally, light and dark. And with that knowledge, it then sends out all kinds of signals to both, you know, neurological, hormonal, endocrine, all these interesting signals to cells throughout our entire body to coordinate and to create a synergy in terms of function with every organ in the body. So I look at the master clock as like the conductor of the orchestra. And if you have an orchestra that has the same piece of music, but you have this, you know, the violins are like one measure off 
from the trumpet. So eventually it's going to just sound like noise. It's not going to sound like beautiful music. And it's the master clock that helps, I call it, keep the beat with all the organs of the body. But we have what I call the back door. And it's virtually every cell in our body also has its own unique clock. But And it can then coordinate with the master clock, but it can also coordinate with the microbes from our gut, which is connected to giving information to our liver and our liver clocks. So by timed eating, and I call this like really the backdoor way to getting back on the beat, even if you are like not getting enough sleep or you're working at night or you have crazy times like I do, like I cross time zones because I'm always traveling. But if you try to eat at the same time every day and stop snacking, whoever came out some years ago with the idea that we should be grazing and eating like little bits all day long, unfortunately, that was good intention, but very bad advice. Because by eating on the beat, by eating a very good breakfast and a a medium lunch and then a light dinner and there are other variations. You could have a good breakfast and then a no lunch or a very light lunch and then a medium dinner. There's a, but we should stop snacking and never eat more than three times a day. And what we now know is that our insulin, our pancreatic beta cells, they have their own clocks, of course, and they are working totally better in the first half of the day, particularly in the, the first few hours after you wake up. In fact, our liver works better. The muscles take in the glucose from the blood better. So we have much more insulin sensitive. So if we eat in the first half of the day, we are not going to tend towards developing insulin resistance and diabetes. We'll be metabolically more functional. And if you eat at night, then you're really messing with your peripheral clocks and you will be more insulin resistant even if you're eating healthy food. And you're really also messing with this whole new system that we, it's not new, it's actually old, but it's newly discovered relatively like 20 years. And that's our endocannabinoid system, which is also linked to our circadian clock very dramatically. And so by eating on the beat, we can help set our peripheral clocks to keep our liver, the master gland, you know, the master organ for metabolic, it's the metabolic powerhouse of the body and the detoxifying organ. It does so many different functions. We can keep the liver on the beat through having the gut get the right food at the right times. We can help to keep our clock working beautifully in synergy, even when our master clock is drifting a little because our lifestyles are so crappy. So I call it the saving grace. And it it gives us a second chance to get back on track, even when we mess up with our our light and our dark business, you know, in terms of not going to bed at the right time and also having too much light at night. You know, we should dim the lights, but we don't. You know, we're watching TV on the computer. So at least by eating to the beat, we can help to keep metabolic homeostasis somewhat on track. You know, um, what you're saying is very interesting because right now what's really hot is called um, intermittent fasting and or, you know, a time restriction uh, when it comes to meal time. And what people do is they they actually go through, they miss their breakfast. Most people, what they do is I'm not hungry in the morning, so I'm not going to eat breakfast and I'm not going to eat for uh, 14 to 16 hours and they miss that morning, their first meal is more in the afternoon. What I'm hearing from you is that, hey, it's better that you actually skip. If you want to do the uh, the intermittent fasting, then skip your dinner or have an earlier dinner and definitely make sure that you eat a breakfast. That's what I'm hearing oh from you. Oh, my gosh. 
Oh, absolutely. You hit it right on the head. Our genes, our peripheral genes, our genes that are in the pancreas and in the gut and in the liver are such. They are what they are. You cannot change them. This is what it is. They are set so that you are much more functionally, metabolically healthy when you eat in the first half of the day. I am 100% in favor of what is, like you mentioned, time-restricted eating. And that is to have a fasting window in your 24-hour day of at least 12, 13 hours. 13 hours seems to be like a sweet spot. If you want to fast more, like 14, 15, 16, even 18 hours, that is fine. But the return on investment after 13 hours is going to be relatively small. But it's huge once you get up to 13 hours. But that 13 hours can't be any 13 hours you feel like. Just like we talked about, you can't decide to sleep but, you know, different hours of the 24 hours, you need to sleep during the night because that's when we're designed to sleep. You can't just pick and choose. It's not that way. So the fasting window should be from the evening to the morning, not, you know, the night until the afternoon. That is such a terrible mistake. And you're absolutely right. It seems to be like uh, hotcakes. It's like everyone is jumping on that bandwagon and it's going in the wrong direction. I can tell you, it's not the direction to optimal health. So having an early dinner and then having a nice breakfast and breakfast should not be the conventional breakfast foods. Of course, that's like crazy stuff, you know, pop tarts and muffins and, you know, Danish are out, you know, we're talking about food that would be like dinner food. It has to be just healthy food. I like to call it morning meal because it gives you a different connotation of what you should eat. But it should be within a couple of hours. It doesn't have to be the minute you wake up, but within a couple of hours or so of when you wake up to have a nice healthy meal with all the different macronutrients and of course micronutrients. So you want to have the healthy fats, the healthy carbs, you know, and of course protein. But you well, I always recommend what's called the sustainability diet. Actually, I didn't come up with that name. I wish I had. That came from the Harvard School of Public Health, which is sustainable for the planet and for the person, which means eating only three ounces of animal a day. So it's a very heavy plant-based diet, but it's not a vegan diet. You get three ounces of animal every day of any kind that you like with the exception that they recommend, and I agree, that you should limit it to only once a week to have red meat like beef or pork. And so that is what I recommend. So you're going to get plenty of protein, but it should be from things like beans and lentils and nuts and seeds and quinoa and millet and things of that sort. Some of the, you know, the ancient grains that are really wonderful, like amaranth that people may not know about, but they taste fantastic. And so we want to have meals that are very full of all of these wonderful things. And, and I say, fill your plate. Some people say, oh, you know, you should use this little plate, you know, so that you don't eat so much. And I say, get the serving bowl, you know, put in like a gigantic breakfast salad, eat tons of vegetables. Nobody overdosed by eating a variety of vegetables. Most people in our country, sadly, and are malnourished. They're overweight and malnourished. So the first thing to do when you're eating is not worry about what, how much you're eating, just what you're eating and when you're eating. And when you do that, you will never be hungry and you will always be happy. One of the signs when you have the night munchies, which so many people do, it's a sign of circadian rhythm dysfunction affecting your endocannabinoid system. So your endocannabinoids that trigger appetite, you know, just like when people they talk about smoking marijuana, they get the, you know, the munchies. Well, we have our own endogenous cannabinoids that will give you the munchies when they're out of whack at night. So that's a sure sign that you need to change your habits. 
because humans should not be eating at night, nor should they be hungry at night. Our bodies were not designed to actually do that. So when things are actually going the wrong direction, you need to really reevaluate your habits, your lifestyle, and so forth, because fortunately, we're very resilient. And by changing our behaviors, we can change our health. Mm, fantastic. Uh, Dr. Gersh, you know, you talked about the endocannabinoid system. I love CBD and cannabidiol, and I want to make sure that people understand uh, that um, the, the endocannabinoid, you don't need marijuana for that, that you can use um, natural sources of hemp oil, CBD oil, to help you, in fact, um, uh, with your nervous system infl- inflammatory issues and possibly even uh, with your meal planning. Tell me about that a little bit before we jump on to the next subject. Oh, absolutely. So the endocannabinoid system, which is a very complex system that exists really in all creatures, it actually um, has within it a whole bunch of different, like we call them, I call them friends of the master endocannabinoids, which is anandamide and AG2. Now, the thing about it is that when you, it's like a miracle, you know, we have plants that actually can work on our own receptors. And this is true for a variety of polyphenols, phytoestrogens, and so on, which can be incredibly beneficial. So it turns out that the cannabis family, which includes like hemp, and also includes marijuana, and probably there's other plants that would be in this family that can have elements within them that can work on our own receptors called the endocannabinoid system receptors. And it's a miracle that these plants like hemp can actually be used to help us when we have like a deficiency of our own endocannabinoids or a dysregulation. And so I agree. I love the, the, all of the, the CBD and I call it, and it's friends because there's like an array of close to like a hundred and we're just learning of all the different molecules and chemicals that are in this amazing plant. And when you put them all together, they have what's called the entourage effect that they actually sort of like magnify exponentially the benefits. And we're still learning so much about it. But a lot of what's going on when people have obesity and diabetes, that type of metabolic dysfunction, they have an endocannabinoid excess of the types of endocannabinoids that are activating the CB1 receptor. Now, happily, what is in the hemp plant and within the hemp oil predominantly is activating the other endocannabinoid receptor called the CB2 receptor. And it's like the Chinese yin yang. So the CB1 and CB2 in some ways sort of balance each other. And when you have excessive stimulation to CB1 and then you start giving more to CB2, it can balance out the metabolic system. And it seems to help maybe reverse some of these metabolic issues like insulin resistance and diabetes and fatty liver and so on. There's actually some papers that look at the effect of giving hemp oil with its full entourage effect on potentially helping to reverse fatty liver, which is such an epidemic now. But And I'm hoping that we'll get more and more research now that this is legal across all states to use the, the hemp oil products. And the beautiful difference is that hemp naturally has just a trace of THC, which is what gives you the mind-altering effects of marijuana, which has been bred now to have very high quantities of THC. So when you use hemp, you're not getting any of the mind-altering effects. You're getting mostly the CB2 effects and you know all these other effects that work on 
uh, these other receptors like the PPAR receptors and the vanilloid receptors. So there's a whole, like I said, there's a very complex system and there's terpenes, there's all these different ingredients that together seem to have this magical effect until we, as we're learning more scientifically what it's doing to help a tremendous array of issues like uh, immune dysfunctions and potentially even helping as an augmentation to cancer treatments and even cancer prevention and metabolic dysfunction and mood disorders and sleep. And it sounds like, you know, snake oil, because how can one thing do all of that? That's because the endocannabinoid system basically affects all organs in the body. So this can affect all functions in the body. So I think it's opening up a tremendous potential. But of course, it's just one tool in our toolbox to try to restore health in a population that now is you know, increasingly ill at every age. Right. Of course. You know, um, you know I, I read somewhere, and this was online, I was just digging about the endocannabinoid system, that hemp, hemp is just one of two plants that is indigenous in every land, meaning all across every land on the planet Earth. And that's the reason why our body has developed this endocannabinoid receptor sites and system over the you know, evolution. And one is hemp and the other one is garlic. Isn't that fascinating that every land on Earth actually has these two plants, indigenous, natural, it is fascinating. And the history of hemp is really fascinating. Like in the colonial days in the U.S., it was mandatory that every farmer grew hemp on his property. It turned out to be amazingly beneficial for like plant rotation when they did, you know, rotational um, agriculture to try to keep the soil healthy. So, I mean, they recognized hemp from the beginning and you wouldn't have had the amazing um, advancements in the history of mankind without hemp, because that's where most rope came from. You wouldn't have rope. You know, what would, what would the world be like? You couldn't have sailed across the oceans if you didn't have rope to pull the sails, right? So, I mean, hemp is part of our, our, the human history story itself. So it is a fascinating thing that hemp is everywhere and virtually every culture has used it. And you just gave me new information about garlic because I'm a big garlic fan, but I didn't know that garlic was sort of a universal um, food and uh, plant as well. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, you know, um, before we're done, we I got so we have so much to talk about, but I'm so sorry that we're almost done with our show here with our timing. I just want to make sure that people understand that we we talked about biological cocks. Uh, we talked about so many different things, but I want to just share the difference between a woman's biological clock and a man's biological clock. Can you just hit on that uh, so that people know that we are different humans when it comes to our biology? Not just sure. from the fact well, that one women, has testosterone and the other has estrogen. Well, it turns out that women are just more sensitive to disturbances of our circadian master clock. The master clock is actually controlled by a variety of inputs, but one of the foundational inputs is actually estradiol, the prime estrogen that's produced by the ovaries. Now, we live in a world where women are you know, altered because of our environments, endocrine disruptors, birth control pills, and similar you know, implantables, things that alter our natural, beautiful flow and rhythm of estrogen in our bodies. And because of that, we're going to have more 
circadian rhythm dysfunction than men. Women have twice the incidence of insomnia as men. We have twice the incidence of anxiety and depression as men. People don't realize that. And so women are more sensitive to circadian rhythm disruptors. A lot of women think, oh, no, I'm more resilient. But actually, it turns out they're not. So when women work the night shift, they actually are harmed more than men. Women are just more sensitive to the disruption of our circadian rhythm. And of course, that manifests in a whole array of problems, more inflammation, like I said, mood disorders, insomnia. So you know what? We just have to work harder. We just have to recognize that that's just built into us. That And we have to think about maintaining proper rhythms of our own hormones. We have to support our system. So we, we have to think twice, really, about things like birth control pills and chemicals that alter our fertility and our natural hormones because they are going to affect our beautiful rhythms, our gut microbiome. All those things are linked. We didn't know about any of this when these drugs were invented. We didn't know. We just, you know, but now we know we can't ignore the fact that we just know that these things are harming these really foundational things of the female body. And when women go through menopause, oh my gosh, they're not making estrogen at all from their ovaries. So every woman going into menopause develops basically a life of jet lag. Her master clock is going to be drifting off the beat all the time because she doesn't have enough estrogen to keep it right. So that's where I'm a, that's another whole story about hormone replacement therapy in menopause. And I'm a big advocate, but I realize it's just like, like everything. It's one piece of trying to maintain health. It doesn't stand alone. It doesn't live in isolation. It's not the, the panacea, but it's one element. So we need to understand that estrogen is linked to the master clock and its ability to maintain the beat. And that's because everything in the body is linked to reproductive health. Even though people don't realize it, our master clock is linked to reproductive health. In fact, our ovaries are circadian. It's like, it's amazing. And we have major receptors in our ovaries for melatonin, for example. So women who don't get enough sleep are much more likely to have irregular cycles and infertility. So women are just more complex than men. We are a little bit more prone to injury when it comes to our circadian master clock. So we have to strive harder and understand the incredible power of estrogen on our master clock. And that also means the incredible power of disrupting that by poor lifestyle choices, chemicals, and of course, what is natural and will eventually affect every woman. And that is the impact of menopause on our master clock and our circadian rhythm. Well, I think I'm going to have to have you come back to talk us about that menopause clock. And I think it's wonderful. Tell us, Dr. Gersh, where can we find more about you? Well, I have a regular brick-and-mortar practice in Irvine, California, called the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine. And I would love for people to follow me on Instagram. It's period. Felice, F-E-L-I-C-E, Gersh, G-E-R-S-H, because I try to put out some interesting things on Instagram and come visit me at my practice. My job is to help women to optimize their health at every age of life. And I have my book out, which is an Amazon number one bestseller called PCOS SOS. And I have a new book coming out in January, which is kind of like um, a sequel. It's a workbook and it's PCOS SOS fertility fast track to help women 
in 12 weeks, it's a week-by-week program to help women who really want to get a baby to optimize their fertility and increase their ability to have an uncomplicated pregnancy and a healthy baby. Wow, that's fantastic. I think that's what we're going to have to talk about the next time I see you on the Wellness for Life show. Thank you so much. I I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. So Dr. Gersh's website is called Integrative MGI, and that means M-G, M as in Mary, G as in George, I as in Irvine.com. Thanks. God, such great information. We talk so much about how important our biological clocks are and, and that we all have a beat. Every cell in our body has a beat. It communicates with our microbiome. It communicates with our brain. We've got every organ in our body, liver, pancreas, heart. We all have our specific rhythm. And for women, we've got a very sensitive biological clock. So it's super important that we take good care of ourselves as we go through the years going into menopause and more. Thank you so much. And if if you've learned anything, I know you have uh, from this valuable information, please share this with your loved ones. I know it'll change their life for the better. Subscribe to to our show. And uh, if you haven't already, and, and we want to do our very best here on Wellness for Life. If you need to help, you need help in digging deeper with your health issues. I work with people all around the world, so we do this through phone and Skype consultations. And my contact info is on my website, drsuzanne.com. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.